Good morning, coffee drinkers. You are listening to the one, the only, Bobby Vega. Playing with a pick, playing an old Fender P-Bass with a pick. I won't play too much of that because it will probably get me shut down with this being up on YouTube. But I'm home. I'm back in the house in California with the Creatures, with Colin Charlotte. A really successful trip to Europe. Uh, great to see Chelsea in the middle of her tour. And I have the new four string. I bought the new bass back. I was at Anders' place working on it. It feels amazing. And it's, you know, for California standards, it's pretty cold here. I woke up, it was 55 inside the house, which is not normal at all. Normally it's about 70 at the very least. Um, and as a result, my fingers were cold. That's like, a, that's, a, that's a thing I used to deal with so much. Obviously being from England, anyone in the UK, I'm sure you, uh, you, you're with me on this going to gigs, going to rehearsals, jam sessions, and feeling like, you, you know, your hands were two blocks of ice. It, w it was amazing to me, like, a couple of things I realized early on, um, that eating, uh, you know, eating and, and, like, getting the kind of blood moving around the body and, and just being warm and wearing gloves and wearing a hat and all those things, you know, have eaten well and, and, and just being ready to play was huge rather than being kind of, you know, it's, it's all well and good being a little nervous here and there, um, but, like, you can be nervous, but set yourself up uh, for the potential uh, for, for success with, with a few really simple things, regardless of how anxious or nervous you might be about the situation. Um, I remember a moment where I was not prepared for that. Um, and don't worry, I'm getting back to the Bobby Vega thing. Bobby Vega thing is very important uh, in today's podcast. But I do want to talk about this a little bit because I know people out there get that you know, almost deer in the headlights, but from a hands being cold perspective. And I remember I was at the Blackheath concert halls in South London uh, for what I thought was going to be like a house band set uh, in the, me listening in the audience and then sitting in on a jam session. And the bass player uh, did not make it for the house band set. And I remember it was like Jason Yard and maybe Daniel Crosby on drums and maybe Andrew McCormack on piano. If I'm, my memory, hey, I'm almost... I'm almost not a young guy anymore, so the memory isn't as great as it was, but it was those guys. It was like quite sane, um, that, that whole uh, crew of musicians in London back in, uh, back in the mid to late 90s. And Jason said, hey, man, you got your bass? Yes, I got my bass. All right, you, you're going to have to play until the, until the bass player shows up. And, of course, the first thing they called was Giant Steps to open the jam session up at like 300 plus BPM and uh, not, not a great way to warm up, I'll, I'll say that. And I hadn't warmed up at all, hadn't touched my instrument. And I, my hands were cold and I felt terrible. I thought I played bad. And I just remember be, at that point thinking, okay, I'm not gonna make that mistake again. I'm gonna be ready to play and I'm gonna do as much for my uh, you know, day-to-day -day basic human body maintenance as I possibly can in terms of keeping my hands warm. And in England, that's a real thing for a lot of the year, as I'm sure all the English people um, will agree with, you know, showing up in the cold and the wet and loading your gear in and getting to the gig and really not feeling great about where your hands are at. So that happened today here in sunny California, where it is sunny, but it's a little bit chilly. And I've got the new bass here. It feels... It feels so good. Um, but <laughs> I was really excited to like first day back, get up, get the bass out of the flight case, play it right away, uh, really, really get into it and, and start putting it under the microscope, play it through my rig, through my pedals, record it, do all those things that I need to do while we're kind of beta testing it and, and getting this prototype ready for NAM in January in a couple of months. And I went to play it with my fingers and they're not really that warm they are not ready so there was a pick lying on my desk and i had here we go back to the bobby vega thing i had that bobby vega thing something like that I had that bobby vega thing in my in my head um and he's, he's jamming in d here i think let's play this a little bit <laughs> So anyway, I had that thing in my head for some reason. It's one of the funkiest things I've heard in a really long time, especially from a bass player. I love Bobby Vegas playing. Go check that out. I think it's um, Bass The World. Shout out to, uh, I think it's Grigor, right? BassTheWorld.com. Um, great YouTube channel, tons of subscribers, lots of great content. And that um, was uploaded a few, like four year, over four years ago now. Has over 400,000 views for a reason. It's super funky. And it's Bobby playing with a pick. So I grabbed the pick and I was like... <laughs> 
my right hand could manage that. Even though it's cold, I could kind of claw the pick and, and just hold it in the right place and then try and get the arm and the wrist loose enough. Playing with a pick is not something I do nearly enough. It's something I really enjoy. And this bass just feels so good to do that with as well. It's one of the things I didn't do so much of in uh, in Sweden when I was just there, you know, playing the bass for the first time. And this morning is is just really about warming up and using this other technique that I don't use so much and creating. Like I listen to Bobby play, and I'm like, it's so loose. I, I guess he's been doing it, you know, his his whole life. He's a little bit older than me, I think, and he's been playing with a pick for for a real long time. It's something I aspire to. It's something that's very inspiring to listen to. And so I'm just like, I go into that mode of of troubleshooting and like, okay, I'm not great at it. So how do I, how do I get better? How do I get some consistency and really make music out of it? How do I feel? How, how can I really create something that I can repeat over and over and over again and get deeper inside the groove, feel the time, have a good sound doing it. Experiment, obviously, with a brand new bass and the sound of that bass. Um, so I just started coming up with little riffs, like short riffs that I could play over and over again and didn't really have to think about, you know, notes or harmony or anything like that. And I like the way he's putting the, the, the backbeat. He's really kind of getting a two and four uh, a lot of the times in the groove. And that's, I can't play a dead backbeat with a, with a downstrike at the same time as I'm playing a note. So I'm playing an upbeat. One. So there's the dead note on the two and the four. And the, I'm playing that C natural to flat seven right before it. Ah, <laughs> at least I would be if I could, if I could play this. Uh. It's, it's subtle, and I'm playing it kind of clunky right now because obviously this is not something I do all the time, but that, that's the focus, is to get that. One, two, three, four. That's kind of the, the pulse. One, two, three. Ah. Ah. And it's like a combination of like uh, uh, palm muting with the right hand to muting with the left hand and then not hitting too many strings. That, that constant, six, I guess it's 16th notes, right? Oh, in fact, that's a good one. Just taking a dead note. practicing accenting certain things so obviously I'm hitting the two and the four one two three and I'm upset um, upsetting accenting the one e and uh the uh of one and the uh of three so I get that baga. one e and uh two e and uh one E and a two E and a three E and a four E and a. So that's, that's a, that could be another exercise. So just straight with the two and four. And then accenting the E, no, one E and uh, the uh of, of the one and the three. But the point being there, I mean, my focus there is so that I'm really just repeating the same uh, repeating the dead notes on the same string rather than rather than sweeping too uh, too wide with the right hand. And again, this is something I, I'm kind of just figuring it out. You know, uh, obviously I have the video here of Bobby doing it. I'm not sure. Let me look at his technique. I'm going to mute that because I really don't want too much of that audio in there. Because um, YouTube has a habit of shutting you down yeah it's i'm looking at his right hand technique and it's pretty tight but forget about that that's like a huge thing of being able to go to youtube and just immediately see the exact thing that someone's doing i think it's so much healthy like if i had i wish i just had the audio of that like i would have done like 20 years ago and there would be no video of it 
and then I could just feel it out, you know. As it was, I kind of had the sound in my head before I went back to the video. I really only got the video up because that is the only source of audio I have to put in the podcast for you guys to reference it. So I wasn't, I haven't really been working off the right hand technique until right then when I went to went to look at what he was doing. I really just want to come in and find let my own let what I have as my own technique right now um, solve the solve the problem of how do I make those sounds and through doing that I'm going to develop new techniques I'm going to improve my technique increase my range and really improve that muscle of problem solving of being able to listen to something and being able to to, to, to solve that problem just by listening alone because that's generally what we do as musicians on the bandstand in real time you know music is happening in real time so the more we can do, you know, transcription in real time, problem solving in real time, the better. It makes us a, makes us far better reactive and communicative and improvising musicians uh, as a whole. So I guess my next, you know, after using a dead string, I should probably take it a little slower as well. One, two, three, something in there is to get a note. Ah. And start creating some kind of bass line. I like the one Bobby had, which is a... Ah, it's super sloppy, because now I'm string skipping. I'm not doing everything on the same string, so... Exactly, and I'm you know, trying to do things that I know I can do. That I can do really easily with my fingers there, for instance. And then transferring those notes into the into the pick technique. It's, it's going to be a, a slow process, but it's super fun. It was a great way of getting into playing the instrument when my fingers weren't warm enough to really articulate on the right hand and just kind of forced me into doing something new uh, for the sake of getting some notes out. Uh, the left hand felt pretty good. Um, ah. Just the, the kind of the punch of this bass is so great. Obviously getting a little more attack and a little more, I guess, high end, like upper mids kind of stuff. If I go back to the fingers, it's a little rounder. So I'm kind of having fun with the different attacks between the fingers and the, and the pick. You can hear me running my hand up and down the neck. It's so smooth. Like the neck is so badass, it's all maple. Maple neck and um, and an older body. It's quite light, into, but very balanced. Like there's no um, no like neck diving. The headstock doesn't outweigh the body, for instance. So it's super balanced. I have it on my left knee right now, as I as I normally do. Um, and it has 26 frets. Not that you would maybe know it from looking at it initially if you look straight at the fingerboard we took out the dots on the front of the fingerboard and just left the markers on the top of the neck so you can look down at the neck and see the regular markers but no markers on the front of the fingerboard so it doesn't look like a Frankenstein uh, 26 fret four string bass it sort of doesn't feel like a Frankenstein bass it feels ah. feels really fun now this is with the triple P setup got three P bass uh, pickups in it regular 
um, just a regular setup and then uh, um, another pickup towards the towards the bridge uh, for the lower two strings and if I switch now that's now go to the back two just gives it something a little rounder uh, when you switch to the back one and I can go Now go back to the regular setup. Ah, scuffing up all over the place here. I suppose I should probably just practice all down strokes, all up strokes, and then alternating. together and then intervals ah. Ah. <laughs> kind of so addicted to to this groove and then of course you know getting into Try putting it over to my right, uh, to my right leg there, and tucking the bass underneath my uh, underneath my armpit a little bit to see if to see if that would make a difference, a positive difference on the on the picking angle. Don't think I like it actually. Back on the left knee now feels feels a lot more natural for me. Maybe that's just because I, I I use it there so much. crazy because I hear things but definitely that I can't execute yet so <laughs> so that's definitely going to be a case of, of this is better tempo number one Coley there's nobody there but Cole Hey. <laughs> I gotta say he's pretty sensitive because he is not by a window or a door or anything and there is a truck like across the street and halfway down the block that I can see out of the window but he can't and even with the, the, the as loud as my bass is he senses that that's crazy And I notice when I take it down to that tempo, it's way easier to make the backbeat. So for sure, I need to practice at that tempo way more and in all keys. Get, get used to that at all different points on the neck. Especially the higher up. is kind of changing a little bit the higher up you get wow and get way low down there as well definitely can't play lines like a guitar player That's really tough. Cole. Coley. Buddy. I don't know what he thinks he hears now because the truck has departed. There's nobody outside. Coley. Come here, buddy. Hey. Good boy.
Maybe he's just restless. I've been gone for a week. Chelsea's been gone two weeks. Well, definitely need to tune this. So maybe he's just uh, freaking out a little more than normal. Um, so yeah, really, really interesting working with this new instrument. It feels amazing. I mean, it's exactly what I was looking for in a four string. Um, something I feel that sounds like a super traditional bass in terms of the P bass thing. Um, I think that sound is, is nailed. It's, I, I like the maple neck vibe. Definitely like the maple neck. Has a little, little brightness for sure. Especially when we're playing with a pick here. I'll start playing Bob's gig on a four string with a pick. That would be interesting, right? Um, uh. It's going to take a lot of work to get all those tunes together on a pick, but yeah. Cool. Let's let's see where the fingers are at now. Let's try blending the pickups a little bit. Get a little more rounder sound. super even I love that like anywhere on the neck that's a sign of a to me that's a sign of a great instrument I probably wouldn't be playing that style of music particularly um, Definitely wouldn't be playing slap, but um, but you get the idea. It's like it's it's not messing around. It's like not a not a toy bass at all. You know, it, it, it's got all the uh, <laughs> it checks all the boxes. find all the false harmonics all over again but you got that that kind of range and it plays super in tune in the high end clean and yeah the triple p thing we're still working on and and finding what the exact benefits are and whether we're going to have a uh, a two-way switch um or a three-way switch because with the two-way switch it just uh you, you still get you still get both strings uh both sets of strings the two high strings the two low strings evenly catered for with the pickup Obviously a little more high end, high end when I have them in the regular P, and then in the in the back P. And in the regular P again. So we're gonna have to figure out, you know, whether it would 
blow out the bottom two strings a little bit too much, make it too woolly. If there was a third, uh, third, uh, third position in the selector switch for the pickups, or whether that's just something that people would actually like, whether you could play some like dub music or whether that would you know affect pedals in a, in a certain way, uh, th there could be some applications for it. It might not be the most uh, pleasing sound just on its own with the clean bass, but there could be some other applications for it. So we're investigating the three three position switch. But other than that, it's just volume and uh, volume and, and and blend, like volume and uh, tone. So I'm I'm super psyched. It's something I'm really. Really kind of proud to be associated with. Ah. And it's interesting, like the, the action is, is good. Like we really set it up well, or rather, and has set it up well for, for the way I want to play. It's definitely. Obviously, it's different from the from the two super doubles that are in my single cut, so it's a slightly different position to play in. But just really fun. I won't take up the entire podcast nerding out over the new instrument. I promise. Um, I had a great hang. In um, in Copenhagen, after Chelsea left, which was super sad, obviously, um, she went back. She uh, she had to fly down to Warsaw to join the tour again, and the, it's only been two days. They've already played Warsaw and Vienna, and I think they are either already in or on their way to Berlin tonight, and then Amsterdam, Paris, Glasgow, Gateshead. Uh, Leeds, Birmingham, Liverpool, Bristol, London. If you're in London at the Jazz Cafe, uh, go check them out. And um, then Dublin and Belfast. But yeah, after after Chelsea left to rejoin the tour with Doug and Morgan, a uh, really great friend of mine came down from Bergen to hang for the day, Jonas Bostrom. Go check him out. Uh, M-O-N-T-A-G dot N-O. Montag dot N-O. That's his... Uh, He's a designer. He's a world-class designer and photographer. Um, folks, I'm going to the website right now just to make sure I have that off the top of my head. The right URL. Yes, look at that. Beautiful. I mean, the photographs are just unreal. And the kind of projects they do in magazines and books and branding. And you'll recognize a few things on there when you scroll all the way down. Great photographs. Some great photographs from the Bergen Jazz Festival as well with Reggie Watts, who's a, who I'm a huge fan of. And just kind of iconic photography, I think. Um, just incredible dude. For a long-term friend of mine. We've known each other 15, 16 years or something. Long time. And he's he was the designer on uh, Mystery to Me, Space in Between, Live at a 55, like all, a, a lot of my records. Um, so he's been a huge part of my musical life. Great to, I mean, we literally just talked for like 12 hours, had breakfast, lunch, and dinner together, and um, just hung out, walked the city, and talked. And just great to hear someone else's perspective on, well, on life and on, on plenty of things. And we nerded out over certain stuff and kind of talked about, talked about music a lot. He's a designer, but he used to play saxophone. He, he's very, very well versed in music. I, I respect his opinion a lot. And um, amazing, you know, we were talk. We talked about so many things, but one of the things was like, do you remember when? I mean, if you maybe if you're as old as me, you remember this. If not, maybe not. But but I'd love to hear people's take on this. But I, do you remember when you just weren't late for stuff? And if you were late for things, it was like there were big consequences. There was no like. You know, the, you're meeting someone at 10.30 and at 10.25 you text them and say you're running 20 minutes late. Like, this is the most bullshit thing of all time, I think. There's like no responsibility. And this all kind of filtered down into the discussion we were having about music. It's kind of that mentality. And I remember being, being in Berkeley in Boston in 98, no cell phone. I had an answering machine, like a real machine, I think, with, with, with a cassette tape in it. It might have been digital. But either way, 
I called back to my apartment from school to check the messages. Like, that's how we communicated. It was like, didn't even have a page. I didn't have a pager. So, but the point being, I was never late for anything. And I never missed a gig. I never missed a rehearsal. I never left anyone standing on like a street corner where I'd, I'd said, yeah, I'll meet you there at such and such a time. And then just not shown up or been 20 minutes late to the point where they just left. And we, we, we talk so much about this and about how the responsibility thing has kind of dropped off in, in terms of that, in terms of like the basic social uh, contract and with the music as well because the attention span is so short now and the attention in general is just so weak. The fact that we're like 30 minutes into this podcast and you're still listening is just, I mean, you are a serious coffee drinker. Like, give yourself a round of applause if you made it this far in the podcast, because that's, and that is, you don't have no idea. If you are listening to this and didn't skip ahead to this point randomly, that's huge for me. That means so much to me, because I realize, and I remember, rather, what it was like to have an attention span, to put on an album and to listen to it from start to finish. You know, we were, we were talking about how it would be amazing. If, did anyone play the game Candy Crush? First of all, like you got, I think you got five lives. And then, it, I mean, it was a great marketing tool because the game was so addictive. Um, but if you didn't want to spend any money on the game, you got five lives and then you had to wait 30 minutes for each life to replenish. You could, of course, buy new ones and that was their marketing plan. So people who were super addictive to it would just spend lots of money. But there was like just a limited amount of time you could play the game if you weren't prepared to spend money on it. And we were talking about like, what if Spotify or Apple Music, you know, had a thing like that? Maybe not half an hour, but at least like you pick an album and you press play. And as soon as you press play, if you stop that album and stop listening to it, there should be like a grace period of, of, of time before you can choose another album and listen to it. I think maybe that would encourage people to really get into the record and listen to it from start to finish. And I just remember so many albums from top to bottom and all the information on them and all the solos. And I remember the, the personnel on the records because I would love to like look at the, you know, look at the liner notes and see who was playing on it. And then eventually know each person's playing enough so I could pick them out on other records. And that, that just came from repeated listening. Like really taking in an entire album and listening to it over and over and over again, like hundreds of times, you know, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying like that, that should be the model now. I think that you, I think maybe you have to strike a balance, you know, where you, where you realize what is going on. Like we're not about to undo the attention span thing. And I think releasing an album of 12 songs is just, is kind of too much for people these days. And I totally get that. And I'm not about, not about to ram albums down people's throats and then complain because they don't listen to them all the way through. I think it's healthy to, launch, to release, you know, three or four songs at a time. Maybe an album takes a year to release, you know, and every four months you release a new four song EP. I think that's pretty cool. Best, maybe the best way of getting your music heard and, and maintaining a, a, an engaged audience. Um, keeping people kind of hungry and interested in what the next thing might be, especially if you're telling a story over an album, but you're releasing it in parts, you know, like seasons of a TV show. I think that's totally cool. But I also remember how great it was and how great it still is to me, the muscle memory that was learnt through listening to albums so many times so that you were so inside them, you know. It was, uh, it, to me, it's kind of sad that that isn't a thing anymore. I totally get it that it probably won't ever be a thing again, and there are ways around it, like I said, but it's, it's a little bit sad that that's not a thing anymore. Um, just because of how valuable it, it was for me and, and a lot of people I know and how valuable it could be um, for people moving forwards and getting so into a specific artist or a specific album that you really learn, you really do the work. And the whole thing about like an album isn't an album unless it has a video component anymore. I think that's kind of sad. 
You know, it's like who listens to an album or who will spend the time to go from one end of a song to another unless you're watching it on YouTube or some sort of video content delivery platform and you're being engaged on more levels than just the audio. I miss the, the one iconic photograph on the cover of an album and perhaps some liner notes and a, and a few, few pieces of information to, to check out you know, written information, maybe a couple of photographs in a, you know, in some liner notes or something or in a little booklet. But yeah, I think it's kind of sad that the entire industry, you know, is is dependent on having a video component if the music is going to be listened to. Of course, there were always music videos for singles and stuff. But it's like, it, it seems like nothing will be listened to at all, a B-side or an album track or anything like that, unless there's like a video to go with it. Kind of a, kind of a crazy thought. You know, if I went back 20 years or 25 years listening to music, like when that so wasn't an option. And to kind of see where we've got to. Very interesting. So we, yeah, me and Jonas, we talked about that all day, especially as he deals in, you know, video and, and photography and the visual side of things, the design side of things. Really interesting to bounce bounce ideas back and forth and get out of the music world, get a different opinion for a change. That was really cool. I wish I could have recorded that. It would have been a, a day-long podcast had I done it and we were just walking the whole time. But few 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 cool things to think about for sure. And it definitely definitely made me think and see how I can make music and release it and be be successful and I'm not talking about financial success or record sales or anything like that I'm just talking about engaging an audience and having people be like oh I want to check this out and I'm kind of hungry for the next thing and when is the next thing coming and actually being you know the audience's imagination kind of fueling the engagement a little bit as well rather than just delivering everything on a silver plate to the audience well here's the video and here's the music and here's the sheet music and here's a tutorial on exactly how this song was written or this thing was played or blah you know actually just here's here's some music check it out and and have an opinion form your own opinion form your own your own visual i think that was really important like the the organic human element of of experiencing music, experiencing it emotionally. Without without that hand-delivered visual component. It's like everyone, anyone rather, who like will hear a lick like this. And then the first thing they say, oh man, do you have the tab for that? <laughs> and the amount of times people are asking for the tab, even when it's a video they're watching and they can just look at the video and see exactly where the fingers are, what strings being played, the right hand technique, the left, they can see everything, but they still want the tab because they don't want to do the work. That speaks volumes about everything I've just been talking about, I think. Like zero interest. To me, that, that shows like zero interest in, in wanting to do the work. Now, I think that also is, is, is great on one level because that really sorts out the good players from the great players. And, you know, there can't be a million amazing artists because there isn't the space for that, I don't think, in the marketplace. So there will continue to be like great artists like there was, you know, the Beatles and Prince and Bo Diddley or Most Def or like, you know, great iconic artists. There aren't there aren't 10,000 Most Defs. There aren't. Well, there's only one Most Def, but there aren't. 10,000 or 5,000 or maybe even 1,000 rappers or artists in that genre on his level. So it's a good thing that a lot of people aren't prepared to do the work. But it's ironic that those people, I think, who think they want it, but still haven't asked themselves the big questions about are they really willing to do the work to go from good to great. That always amazes me. And you can always kind of tell as well. You can kind of listen 
in, in, in like one or two bars of somebody's playing and, and know whether they did the work or not or listen to them interact with another musician or be in a in a musical situation and kind of tell how much of a disconnect there is between the idea and the performance and that's something I'm constantly like you know when I record myself practicing that's like audio recording just just voice memo recording or, or whatever it is in, in the phone as I'm practicing and then listening back and listening not watching for but listening for when I was like completely in the moment and completely in the flow state like those are the kind of questions I'm asking myself you know one of the questions I get asked the most is how uh, do you populate your practice routine what is your how is your practice routine structured what do you do to get the most out of your playing I think that is the thing I do to get the most out of my playing whenever I'm learning the most is when I'm practicing a lot and consistently and with the right intent and relaxed and all those kind of things but it's when I'm really going back and checking it out and listening for listening for that intent and listening for that emotional engagement and that obviously the, the the technical things I'm aware of and that I think about and I, that I like to work on like time and sound and motivic development and melodic content and composition all those things but really what matters it to me anyway when I listen back is the where am I completely engaged and and then of course like when I'm when I hear that I'm not completely engaged I'm just kind of I'm like why is that you know what was the thought there why did I get out of the out of the flow state and how do I get back into it you know what is it that I was conscious of there that perhaps i don't want to be conscious of anything like I, I often say the two things I'm conscious of when I'm playing especially improvised music is is change is repetition and change like how how effective is something when it's when it's repetitive you know this is something I got from Hal Crook many years ago over 20 years ago at Berkeley great teacher Hal Crook you should check out his books ready aim improvise how to comp like these iconic iconic books and philosophies and thoughts on on what it is to be an improvising musician and that was something he drilled into me was just think about repetition and change work an idea sometimes it's great to repeat an idea and you know repetition doesn't mean doesn't have to mean exactly the same thing over and over again it can mean the same rhythmic idea or the same basic melodic shape or cell you know developed slightly here and there and moved around the instrument and then change can really be okay let's go with a completely different idea and, and then how do you connect the repetition and the change those are the kinds of questions I'm asking myself when I work on my practice routine and when I try and make my process as effective as possible and at the end of the day it's like we, we, we don't have so long here like around on, on the planet <laughs> So I like to make the most of it, or I like to <laughs> at least feel like I'm making the most of it. Now I'm trying to get this idea together. missing them I'm missing some upbeats there that's about the right hand positioning thing but and I can hear feel some time things moving around in there so I'm it's a good sign I feel it's a good sign right this minute that I am conscious um, enough to be aware of those things and ask the questions and I'll go back and listen to some of these things some of the audio, audio from the podcast but when I'm driving or something like that I actually really like practicing a little bit in the podcast I hope that doesn't uh, bother you guys uh, listening coffee drinkers 
because it's amazing to be able to like sit in the car and listen to that stuff a little bit and and really just you know skip back and listen again and, and figure out what was working and what wasn't and i highly recommend you doing that if you can do that uh even if you can do that once or twice a week that give you a really good kind of overall picture like a big picture of what's going on so you're not too far inside yourself all the time and you can get sit back and get some distance from the playing and really see what's working like it's amazing like i can't i can't really tell exactly what's working um right now as i record and i've got headphones on the microphone in front of me and the whole podcast setup thing it isn't until i listen back later on that i really get the big picture of whether certain things work or not and whether certain things need to be a little more dense a little more sparse what was grooving what wasn't where are those back beats i'm talking about slowly i felt it a little better there still not in the pocket yet but i definitely feel it a little better there and it's i'm, I'm really like experimenting with the with the position of the pick the slant the grip of the pick in the right hand i don't have a a guidebook or a manual or someone to tell me oh you should do this that and the other thing it's just pure trial and error and as soon as you know making small small changes in one direction or another and seeing if it gets better or gets worse and and going on you know ah. 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 so i'm trying i'm trying to get the backbeat but there's actually a note there so i can't do both things at the same time i think that's why i'm scuffing up Ah, yeah. dead notes are those too loud are those too soft like that's those are all the things i'm going to look back into when i listen back to the practice session and and see what's up and and really kind of give myself a hard time <laughs> ask the tough questions and then be really brutally honest with the answers and that's when i'm making i think the most most amount of progress both the cat and the dog are looking at me like what the hell are you doing right now why why did you find that pick this morning we were having this cool calm quiet time while you were gone in europe and now what with the octaves there <laughs> that's something to practice i guess playing the space as well uh. yeah letting some dead notes go through I'm, I'm i need to go work on this i'm committing way too much of this to the public domain <laughs> it's getting a little scary now uh, the more mistakes i make 
the more scary it gets to put it out there. But that's that's I, f I also find that's that's good for me as well, just to let it go. If I can let it go and and be in control of the emotions that go with that, that can be really really useful, especially in live performances and not getting too tense. You know that that really helps anxiety. If I can let this stuff go and, and put it on my podcast or in a YouTube video or even on an album at some point, you know, mistakes, quote unquote, mistakes that happen. It really frees me up when I get in the moment and get on stage and get in front of an audience because there's really at that point, there's nothing that can go wrong um, pretty much. So the more I can get out there in the public domain, as scary as it is right this minute as I talk to you with all those mistakes and glitches and all that stuff really good in the long run in terms of just letting go i think we'll end today's podcast on that let's say just let go it's really healthy it's really difficult or it can be at times but it is really healthy um coffee drinkers thank you for listening i will make a video of the new base for sure because I, I just want to do an in-depth thing and this is something I think that deserves a visual element so you can really see inside uh, or there's not really much inside. It's not chambered, but just all around the instrument, even though it is a prototype. Um, I think the body is not going to be road worn for the production models. It's going to be more like a matte black, uh, still deciding on pickups and hardware and, and all this stuff. It does have the zero fret uh, like the other Matteson bases, which I really dig. But um yeah, still figuring out the bridge, like all kinds of things. But I will make a video on it, you know, the prototype video. So you guys can get a really close look at it and record some nice high-end audio for that as well. We'll get into that next week. Um, next few days, the focus is on the new book, Jazz Vocabulary for Electric Bass. I don't know if that, that's a kind of a mouthful. I don't know if that will be the, the final title of it, but that's definitely the concept, a new series of books. And I'm working on a ton of things that got me inside 251s and then <laughs> outside you know working on all those melodic minor things over 251 and altered and tensions and melodies and all that all that kind of stuff so maybe i'll put a little bit of that in the podcast coming up in the next few days give you guys a look inside that cyber monday well good friday and cyber monday are coming up going to run a massive sale at the store so get ready for that next week um also my birthday coming up on monday Woo! the big 4-0 not sure was Chelsea's gone and we kind of did birthday stuff before she left which was beautiful so it might just be a pretty regular day on Monday we'll see but uh yeah coffee drinkers thank you for sticking around um, what is this number 10 this is good got 10 out this month I'm, I'm digging that I hope you guys are don't forget at Yannick Guzdala on Instagram it's a really good way of leaving me comments and suggestions for the podcast so if you're not following me go to at Yannick Guzdala on Instagram do that Leave me some feedback, and I'll see all of you guys, girls, ladies, gentlemen, coffee drinkers on the next episode.